This is the message given by Pastor Woody Lauer during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for March 26, 2023. The title of the message is Our Mission. Now, uh, if you would open your Bibles, uh, we have two readings this morning. So if you would turn first to Matthew chapter 28, and I'll be reading from verses 16 to 20. Uh, Matthew being the first gospel uh, in the New Testament. And then you would put your finger there. You can turn then with me in the Old Testament to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And if you have a different translation or you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in the bulletin or the slide behind me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the truths that it communicates. Father, may it be uh, manna that comes down from heaven to feed our souls, uh, Lord, and to, to nourish our, our faith. May it be sweeter to our lips than honey. And as we hear it, read and preached, Lord, with the very act of listening intently, uh, by faith, with our hearts and our minds, may it be a testimony to all those around us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. We ask these things, Lord, uh, as we uh, lift up Woody when he comes to preach as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 13 of, of chapter 7 of Daniel. I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying. With its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horns that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and and ju judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this, out of this kingdom ten kings shall rise, 
and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And then now to, to Matthew 18, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers and the flower fades. May he add his blessing to it this morning. Good morning. It is a privilege to be able to worship with you this morning and to be able, in particular, to share from God's word uh, with you, to proclaim what the Lord Jesus has taught and what he has commanded in particular uh, in this passage in Matthew 28. An army's mission is determined by its commander. In the U.S. today, our commander is the President of the United States. But in times past, in most countries, the king was the commander. The king issues a decree, and that becomes the mission of the church, or the mission of of the kingdom and the army. In Matthew 28, Jesus, our king, decrees the mission of his kingdom, his church. Specifically, the mission of his 11 remaining living apostles. That's his audience when he issues the decree. However, if we want to really understand our mission as the church, we have to begin not with Matthew 28, but with Daniel 7. Over and over again, as we go through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, we find Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man, an expression which we will see is taken from Daniel. Why does Jesus do this? Why does he keep referring to himself as the Son of Man? 
the first thought that probably would run across the average person's thinking and hearing Son of Man would be that it emphasizes his humanity. Jesus is a man, to be sure. Jesus is a man, and that is something that can be rightly drawn from the expression. But as we look through the way Jesus uses that expression throughout the book of Matthew, it doesn't really emphasize his humanity so much as his heavenly authority, his messiahship. Let's look at a few examples. Matthew 9, verse 6. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. Matthew 12, 8. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath created and decreed by God at creation. The Son of Man is over the Sabbath. 1341, the Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire, into that place which, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 1627, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and he will then repay every man according to his deeds the Son of Man, the judge over all mankind. 16.28, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Matthew 17, verse 9, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one, until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. 1811, the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. 1928, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew 24, verse 27. Just as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 2430. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. 25.31 When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he shall sit on the throne of his glory. And finally, 26.64 Jesus said to him, you have said correctly, nevertheless I say to you, henceforth you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
over and over again, Jesus' use of the the term Son of Man throughout Matthew assumes and implies his authority, his kingly authority as God himself, as the Messiah. Where does it come from? It comes from Daniel 7, from the Old Testament reading that we just had. Looking again to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. In Daniel 7, at the beginning of the the vision, in verse 1, Daniel reveals for us that he saw this vision while Israel was in exile in Babylon. Israel was under the thumb of an evil king. He saw four beasts representing four kingdoms and four kings from Babylon through Rome. The Lord showed Israel that before the Son of Man would begin to rule, before he would begin the rule of God, that first Babylon, then Persia, Greece, and finally Rome arose, will arise. And they did, as we read in history. But God himself, whom Daniel refers to as the Ancient of Days, God will appoint his ruler. Verse 13, once again, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days. This is a picture, the picture of the coronation of a king. According to verse 14, to him, to this king who is crowned, to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, so that all the peoples of the nations, men of every language, might serve him. So his authority is not only going to be over Israel, over God's people, those who had been God's people up until this point, His authority will not only be over Israel, whom David had ruled, but over all the nations of the world. Verse 14 also adds, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. It is one which will not pass away. In other words, his kingdom and his rule is going to be eternal unlike those kings who had come before him and the four beasts that are mentioned. Nevertheless, although this Son of Man is going to rule over all the nations of the earth, his throne is going to be in heaven. In other words, his rule is going to be exercised not in Jerusalem and certainly not in Washington, It's going to be exercised from the throne in heaven. Nevertheless, 
It is the nations. It is all the nations of the earth that he is going to rule. Now, some Jewish and liberal scholars of the Bible have tried to argue that this term son of man here in Daniel 7 really refers to all the saints of God, that it is a corporate person, not a real person. But that doesn't really fit the context. In the prior context, four beasts are described as four kings ruling over four kingdoms. The four beasts whose dominion God had taken away, according to verse 12, those four beasts are clearly identified as four kings in verse 17. Once again, verse 17. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. Thus, although the saints of God are going to join him in rule, the one like a son of man to whom is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him is best understood not as a corporate him, but like the other four kings who precede him, he is to be a divinely appointed king, one who is promised to the saints on earth, but is not the saints on earth. It is he who shall rule alongside of God in heaven. Furthermore, the saints remain on earth, but the crowned king, the son of man, has his throne in heaven. Furthermore, the coronation of the son of man does not bring an end to opposition. According to Daniel 7.21, not all will serve the Lord. Instead, some will continue to attack the saints of God. So the enthronement does not bring an instant end to all opposition against God, against his king, and against his saints. As we read on, he says, I kept looking and the horn was waging war with the saints and was overpowering them. In other words, enthronement occurs. The son of man begins to rule and he has all authority over heaven and over earth. And yet, his saints continue to suffer. Eventually, however, the Son of Man and his saints, the Ancient of Days, his King and his saints, eventually they gain the victory. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole of heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve him. Daniel 7, 21. I'm sorry, 27.
Jesus, in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, is declaring that the vision of Daniel 7, the enthronement of the Son of Man in heaven, that enthronement has now occurred. That first part of the vision has been fulfilled. At his resurrection, Jesus appeared before the heavenly throne, and to him was granted authority by the Ancient of Days. Or as Matthew puts it, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Jesus is announcing that the final phase, the final phase in the plan of God has begun. The Son of Man, the King of heaven and earth, has taken his throne and has begun to rule. Heretofore, Satan had ruled. Satan had ruled man ever since the time of Adam's fall, and in particular, ever since the time of Babel, when the nations fell into the darkness of idolatry, of polytheism, or as Paul puts it later, the worship of demons. We see this in the devil's temptation as it's recorded in Luke 4. The devil led him, led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give this all to you. I will give you all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me and I give it to whom I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Just bow the knee. Genuflex, and it is yours. No need to go to the cross. No need to suffer. By dying on the cross in place of his people, the Son of Man destroyed the rule of Satan. He paid the ransom for the sins of his people, and he purchased for himself a people. Or as Daniel's vision puts it, saints from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Thus, just as Jesus had begun to reveal to his disciples several months before that final Passover, before the coming in glory as king to judge, Matthew 16, 27, he first had to die, 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed. Although Jesus told Pilate that his kingdom is not of this world, he tells us to pray that God's kingdom would come to and in this world. The otherworldly nature of that kingdom does not make it less real. It does not make it nebulous. It is rather something which does come, something into which one must enter by the narrow gate, something for which the apostles were granted keys, authority to open and to shut the door. It is something from which they were commanded to put out unrepentant sinners. Thus, the kingdom, the reign of the Son of Man, though it is in heaven, is very real. 
It is visible on earth and must be distinguished from the world. It is able to be distinguished from the world. That is, from those who have not entered or those who have been put out. Jesus has, in fact, begun to reign from heaven, both on earth and in heaven. His resurrection and his ascension mark the beginning of his reign. Just as Jesus predicted through the vision in Daniel 7, his authority is absolute. But not all submit, at least not right away. Many remain a part of the nations of this world, outside of the kingdom of Christ, and yet Christ is making them into his disciples. Or subjects, or as Daniel labels them, saints, holy ones. He is delivering those who, along with their forefathers, had had previously been deceived for millennia. Our passage in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, is the commissioning of the first evangelists, the apostles, commissioning them and enduing them with power and authority to call men, both Jews and pagans, out of the kingdom of darkness and into discipleship under King Jesus. Those who receive baptism, those who begin to obey the Son of Man, become the saints of Daniel 7, predicted in Daniel 7. Of course, the main thing of being a subject for King Jesus the Son of Man, is to obey him, to obey his commands. As we read in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. But obedience begins with baptism. What is baptism? Best way to understand baptism, and it really does function this way in Japan, is it is a right of citizenship. It is a right by which you take on a new citizenship. In order to become an American citizen or a citizen of some other country for that matter, in order to do that, You go through a rite. There is some kind of a ritual. You may not call it that, but that's what it is. Standing before a judge or similar official and pledging allegiance to the new country. That rite is necessary, and you you don't gain that citizenship until that rite actually occurs. Well, baptism functions the same way. Baptism is intended to be a rite of entrance into the new kingdom, to become a subject of King Jesus. That's why it comes first. Baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. It's no coincidence that many in Japan want salvation without the baptism. They wish to have the benefits of citizenship, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life without the dangers 
and the duties of openly displaying their heavenly citizenship and their allegiance to Christ. It's very easy to say, I believe in Japan. But it is not so easy when you have family members, husband, parents, who are prepared to cut you off, divorce you, throw you out of the house if you're baptized. As long as all you want to do is say, I believe, all is well. But it is going through that right which brings about a public recognition that this person now belongs to Jesus. It's not that the water saves you, but Jesus has commanded it. He is the one that has established that right, and you cannot intentionally, willfully reject it without rejecting Jesus. But remember in case you're in that situation even today in the United States, there's really nothing to fear in baptism. There is nothing to fear in allegiance to Christ. The real danger is to those who are outside of the kingdom, not those who are inside. Those who do not serve Christ are already serving a far more onerous master. There's no middle ground. There's no third alternative. Now Daniel's vision, in that vision, the saints suffer. They are overpowered for a time. You don't see, in this age in which we live, you do not see that complete victory which ultimately is going to occur. But eventually, as we read in chapter Uh, Daniel 7, verse 27. Eventually, then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of the people of the saints of the highest one, his kingdom, uh, sorry, the sovereignty, dominion, and greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole of heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. That's how it comes out in the end. We're overpowered for a time. We suffer for a time. But Jesus is ruling. And the end, in the end, his rule will be vindicated. And so will we. So take your stand with Christ if you have not done so yet. Submit to him. Receive his baptism, if you have not, and learn from his minister how to obey him, to to observe all that he has commanded. But this commission, this commission to the 11 apostles did not end with the apostles whom Christ himself had commissioned. The apostle Paul reminds Timothy of his duty to keep the commandment, that is to say, to keep this great commission. Reading from 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach 
until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That appearing which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. At his ordination, the commandment from Christ to his apostles became Timothy's duty as well. The vision of Daniel 7 of Christ and his saints doing battle, suffering, and ultimately overcoming the demonic opposition is fulfilled by those likewise charged to keep what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2 calls the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Just a few verses earlier in 2 Peter chapter 2, a chapter which teaches us a lot about false teachers. There in in 2 Peter chapter 2, it is clear that the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles becomes the personal duty of the teachers of the word, ministers, if you will, upon their ordination. This is true even for those false teachers, even for those teachers who later down the road apostatize. 2 Peter 2, verse 1, and and chapter Uh, chapter 2, verse 21, read together, read as follows in talking about those false teachers. There will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and bringing swift destruction upon themselves. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness then after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. The heinousness of the sin of these false teachers is not only in their own personal apostasy, but also in their using their commission, using that mission that has been entrusted to them and the authority with it, to seek to destroy the saints, to seek to destroy the saints of Christ by gross deception. The Great Commission, making the nations into disciples for Jesus, was to the apostles and must be for us as well. The heart of our calling, the heart of our purpose as the church militant here on earth. Looking to the end of the gospel according to Luke, our Lord himself places this commission to disciple the nations right alongside of his death and his resurrection in his summary of the three points of the teaching of the Old Testament about himself. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. All things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, in other words, the Old Testament, 
all things written about me must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Luke 24, 44 to 47. While it is ordained ministers whose duty it is directly, as Paul tells Timothy, to, quote, keep the commandment, the apostle Peter goes on to command the entire church, everyone, not just the ministers. He says, Peter says, you must remember the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Personally keeping the commandment is the duty of those duly ordained by the laying on of hands, and in their ordination they take up that responsibility. But we all, says Peter, we all must remember the commandment. We all must remember that the carrying out of the commandment until the Lord returns is at the heart of the Lord's own work following his death and resurrection. This is his work that he carries on through us. We must all remember that. It must be in our hearts. We must pray for it. Please pray not only for our work in Japan, but for all of our church's missionaries at home and abroad. And please give generously toward that work as well. Above all, consider serving yourselves as well and sending your sons to the mission field as preachers. Furthermore, as the Apostle Paul prepared to go on from Rome and then to Spain, go on first to Rome and then to Spain, leaving behind Asia Minor and the Grecian Peninsula, the Apostle could say, in all honesty, he wrote as follows to the Roman church, I no longer have any room for these work, for this work in these regions. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Romans 15, 23-24. As long as there are those here in your community and in the surrounding communities who have not heard the gospel, as long as there are some who remain in the dark not knowing the gospel, you can't control whether they believe or not. As long as that is the case, this congregation has its own work to do. Remembering the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, as Peter commands you, and in the case of your preachers, keeping that commandment, baptizing those whom the Lord is delivering out of darkness and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded.
Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks that it was not to angels far more powerful and impressive than we. It was not to them that you entrusted this, the final work of the Lord Jesus from heaven, as he sits on his throne and through those whom he has sent out, he disciples the nations. We give thanks that it is to us, and we pray that your spirit would make us meet for that work, that the gospel would go forth to each and every person in this community, and that many would come to a living and vital faith in Christ, that uh, even though we are oppressed by the world and by the devil for a time, that we know that Jesus is sitting on the throne and all power and authority belongs to him. Give us that confidence to be able to preach your word and to disciple the nations as you have commanded. May we keep that charge uh, to keep the commandment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.